you must not teach or preach in the name of Jesus. You must not use him as your authority to say what is right or wrong. It is just not acceptable. Effectively, that was what the authority said to Peter and John, as related in the first part of Acts chapter 4. A complete ban in every area of life. How would you respond to such a demand from on high? What would you go on to say and do? Peter and John stood firm before the authorities. They had been released, but, verse 21, with threats ringing in their ears. There is much we should learn from what they did next. Firstly, seek fellowship. After this very troubling experience and with the heavy warnings given them, you might have thought they would just be glad to be free and seek to find somewhere quiet to rest and recuperate. That is far from what they did. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company, and reported all that the chief priests and elders said unto them. I have titled this point, Seek Fellowship, because in the fullest sense, that is what these men did. They met up with their own, a gathering of saints. In Acts chapter 1, we see about 120 or so, gathered in an upper room, whilst they waited for the promise of power to witness. On that occasion, there was prayer, and the word of God was applied to the situation. After that, thousands had been added to the church. So it is that we we cannot be sure who was in this group that they actually met up with. But it seems likely that it included the other apostles. We are not told why they had met, but surely their focus must have been on the fact that Peter and John had been arrested. Fellowship means togetherness. Peter and John gave a detailed report of all the warnings and threats made against them. They didn't try to make light of it, nor did they glorify themselves for standing up to the rulers. It was a simple account of the facts. This is what togetherness in the local church is about. We are told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, 
for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. This fellowship is an expression of unity in Christ. Romans chapter 12 verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. The church is not a social club nor is it an entertainment venue. Meeting together is about unity in Christ, of facing difficulties and challenges together. Jesus said, John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to Another. Seek fellowship. Secondly, pray biblically. The immediate response of this gathered group to hear in the report was this tremendous example of prayer. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Verse 24 there. We are not to think of everyone there speaking the same words together, nor of many speaking at the same time, which would be confusion and contrary to First Corinthians 14 verse 40, that all things be done decently and in order. These words are simply expressive of the fact that one led in prayer and the others united their minds with them. They would truly have been able to say, Amen. So be it. By this means, there was one prayer prayed by many. We are to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in time of need. And this is what these disciples did. Their prayer had a biblical focus. Verse 24. Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. They did not start with their own problems or concerns. Rather, these words highlight the person and character of God. It is as if their eyes were lifted up from self, lifted up from the threats made, and instead focused on God. Isaiah lived in days of darkness. He had messages of warning 
and he saw sorrow in his time. His ministry, however, was built on the great vision of Christ, which he saw in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He saw something of the majesty and power of God, just as Moses had at the bush that was filled with flames, but not consumed. The ground on which you stand is holy ground. Oh, that we knew something of this awe and reverence when we meet together for times of prayer. Today, we face those who mock and ridicule the Word of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is becoming difficult to speak biblically about certain issues. It was reported recently that an MP at Westminster had said that prayer for people who are confused about their gender is equivalent to rape. This world is hostile. It is vital that we focus on who God is and what he has done, what he has told us in his revelation in Scripture. Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth. These words of adoration remind us how the psalmist prayed, Psalm 100 verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. In this verse 24, the Greek word translated Lord is not the usual word, kurios, but one which means absolute authority. Our God is not one of many. The Philistines made this mistake after they had captured the Ark of the Covenant. In First Samuel chapter 5, you can read of how they put the Ark of the Covenant with their God, Dagon, only to find that Dagon fell over and was broken. Our God is the God, the creator of all. It is because of this that all earthly authorities are subservient to him. This is our authority to teach in the name of Jesus, for proclaiming the Lord of God, which defines what is morally right and wrong, and for announcing the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples 
of Jesus said, Jesus is Lord. So they could never say, Caesar is Lord. We must render to God what is God's. This is why we cannot take part in multi-faith events. We cannot be part of confusion. We cannot be part of that which denies the person and work of Jesus. God, the creator of all, has revealed himself unto us. And as the writer of the Hebrews says, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I was reminded in thinking of this, of the talk we had recently about life in North Korea and how the leaders of that country have set themselves up as God in the place of the God of heaven and how they have attempted to completely eradicate all worship apart from of themselves. But yet the Lord has his people in North Korea who amidst the most difficult of circumstances seek and take opportunities to meet with other believers and even to share the good news of Jesus Christ with lost souls. The Lord is building his church. This prayer has a clear biblical theme. Not only is the sovereignty of God foundational, but his written revelation provides the main body of the prayer. The disciples saw that their circumstances were to be seen in the light of what God had said by the mouth of David. In verses 25 to 26, the words of Psalm number 2, verses 1 and 2 are quoted. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They saw that this experience of God's anointed king was typical and prophetic of the way in which David's greater son would be treated. As David was anointed by oil 
and then faced great opposition from king and people and from outside nations too before he was able to take his throne. So it was with Jesus. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit and then was rejected and opposed. This psalm clearly sets out that this is the way we are to expect it to be. Earthly rulers set themselves in opposition. They rage and imagine vain things. Vain because they cannot win in the end. They they set themselves, verse 26, as enemies against the Lord and against his Christ. This was the case, verse 27, with Herod and Pilate, who together with the Roman soldiers and with the chief priests and the crowd which cried out, crucified him. They set themselves as enemies of Christ. These men who claimed Abraham as their father cried out, We have no king but Caesar. What rage, what vain, empty words, as if they had the power to stop the plans and purposes of the Creator of all. The chief priests thought death on the cross will be the end of Jesus. How wrong they were. By his death, he won victory and rose in triumph from the grave. This verse 28 makes clear. These disciples saw that God was working out his purpose. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. In like manner, Peter, in a sermon on the day of Pentecost, explained that Jesus, who was delivered by the determinate counsel of foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Be assured, God is working out his purpose for his glory. As Dennis Johnson has said, the Messiah's weakness and defeat proved to be God's weapon for the redemption of his guilty people. This proof that God rules supreme not only in Eden's pristine perfection, but also in the horrors of Calvary, banishes from the believers' minds fears for their personal safety. Banishes from the believers' minds fears for their personal safety. God, in sovereign power, works out his purpose even in the actions of 
wicked men. May our prayers be filled with scripture as we petition the throne of grace. And so we have seen that our response to difficulties, to problems, to threats, should be to seek fellowship, to pray biblically, and thirdly, to desire boldness for witnessing. Before his ascension, Jesus had promised his disciples that they would receive power for witness. On the day of Pentecost, Peter had powerfully preached law to convict of sin and proclaimed the glorious truth of the gospel, salvation to those who repent and believe. And then before the chief priests and elders, Peter and John had declared, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. We cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. They had experienced boldness for witnessing, and now they want more of it. In this prayer, they are of one mind as they plead the threats made and seek more boldness. Verse 29, And now, Lord, Behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. The book of Acts is a record of the gospel being boldly proclaimed from Jerusalem to Rome. Along the way, we see that Stephen was killed as he boldly witnessed to those who raged against his preaching. King Herod killed James with the sword. And Paul spent years as a prisoner for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet Acts is a book of victory. The gospel was proclaimed. It even reached unto Caesar's palace. For Christ was building his church. The Lord was adding unto the church such as shall be saved. This is not according to the wisdom of men, which demands clever craftiness and powerful armies and earthly power but through the bold witness of Christian people for Jesus Christ, being salt and light amidst our wicked generation. This should be our pattern today as we live out our daily lives. We are to go forward looking unto Jesus, He has gone before us. He is the author. He is the author and the finisher of the faith. 
John Calvin has said, Let the cruelty of our enemies rather stir up in us the desire to pray than discourage us from going forward in the course of our duty. Let the cruelty of our enemies rather stir up in us the desire to pray. Let us be a people of prayer. Let us be filled with a desire for boldness in witnessing. Let us pray for our pastor that he might be encouraged and know that holy boldness and wisdom in the proclamation of law and gospel. Let us get back to true fellowship, focusing on God and his character and what he has revealed in his word of truth. Joining together, sharing together in Christ, coming before the throne of grace with boldness. The message we have is hated and despised by the enemies of Christ. Preaching appears foolish. The content of the preached word seems foolish to many who hear. But it is God's power unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So it is today that I would call upon you to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Have you yet repented of your sin? Are your eyes lifted up in faith unto Christ, trusting in his finished work? That sacrifice he made on the cross at Calvary when he died to save his people from their sins. Dear friend, don't delay. You have this moment now an opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with the assured promise that if your trust is in him, you will be saved. Amen.